please remain standing as you are able. The reading for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I will be reading the scripture in French, and the English translation will be on the screen for you to follow. I read, Paul, qui a été appelé par la volonté de Dieu à être un apôtre de Jésus-Christ et de l'offrir soutien. Salut l'Église de Dieu établie à Corinth. Ceux qui ont été purifiés de leurs péchés dans l'union avec Jésus-Christ et qui ont été appelés à faire partie du peuple saint, ainsi que tous ceux qui, en quelque lieu qui se soit, font appeler à notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ, leur Seigneur comme le nôtre. Verse 3. Que la grâce et la paix vous soient accordées par Dieu notre Père et par le Seigneur Jésus-Christ. Je ne cesse d'exprimer ma reconnaissance à mon Dieu, à votre sujet, pour la grâce qui vous a accordée dans l'union avec Jésus-Christ. En fait, vous avez été comblés en lui dans tous les domaines, en particulier celui de la parole et celui de la connaissance. Dans la mesure même où la vérité dans Christ et le témoin a été fermement établi chez vous. Verse 7. Ainsi, il ne vous manque aucun don de la grâce divine, tandis que vous attendez le moment où notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ apparaîtra. Lui-même, d'ailleurs, vous rendra fort jusqu'à la fin, pour que vous soyez irréprochables au jour de notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ. Car Dieu, qui vous a appelé à être en communion avec son Fils, notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ, est fidèle. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. If you're visiting, welcome. It's good to have you here. Uh, we usually have a children's church, but uh, this uh, Sunday we are taking a break from that, but it will continue again next week. Uh, you'll probably already know that with the announcement in the bulletin. Today we start a new sermon series. We just finished a sermon series called A Wonderful Life, and now we are diving into our next book of the Bible, which is 1 Corinthians. This will take us all the way to the summer. Uh, around the time of July, we'll go back to an annual series that we do on Summer in the Psalms. We'll go through all uh, 10 psalms in like, uh, I think about 71 to 80. We do about 10 psalms a summer. Uh, and then we'll actually come back in the fall to finish 1 Corinthians, picking it up in chapter 15, which is the fifth and final section of this book of the Bible. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dive into the opening verses. Let's pray. Creator God, during the season of Advent, you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt or the experience of pain and suffering cannot overcome your life-giving word. So may your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You probably don't need a reminder, but this season, and any holiday season, is a time that's filled with some highs and some lows. Every year we share different experiences in light of this with one another. We get to hear about 
the highs, the travel plans, time with families, and holiday traditions that we celebrate. And for many here, this is your favorite time of year, and you've shown it because you've been listening to holiday music since Halloween. And you've been all in on, on uh, listening to that for, for months before we've even arrived at Advent. On the other hand, we know it's a tough time of year for many people. It might be the first holiday season that you are experiencing without a loved one because that person has passed away. Uh, some of your traditions that you look forward to may be complicated to this day because of uh, the realities of COVID-19. And this is a very common experience that many of us hear, but now in this season, you're gonna be around maybe friends and family members that you only see this time of year, but you dread seeing them. You're not looking forward to it because the relationship that you have with these individuals might be complicated and frustrating, and you're having to face those complicating and frustrating situations yet again. And even though it's a season of thanksgiving, it's hard for you maybe to give thanks for some of these relationships and challenges that you face. And many folks also have this type of complicated relationship with church relationships. For some, the experience of church is something that is mainly positive, despite maybe some challenges, but for others, there are church experiences that they have had and relationships that they have had in church for which it is very difficult to give thanks for. I've pastored many who have come from different churches and different complicated relationships that have given them burdens and stress and things that they need to heal from. And just like the last two years may have put stress on your family or friendships and those types of relationships, so too many have experienced stress with church life, whether locally or maybe in a much broader sense as you look around and see the issues facing the church today. Now, to be clear, I think our church is in a healthy spot. This is not some passive-aggressive uh, choice of a book to kind of just needle you in the back and say, you guys kind of stink, I hope you get better. I really believe by God's grace, we are in a healthy spot. And I love this church, and I love the challenges that we face, and I love the way that you all have been facing them. Yet, broadly speaking, as you look around the church, capital C, maybe in our city or in our nation, the church is indeed facing some difficult things. We are facing church divisions, broadly speaking, maybe a lack of agreement over important issues like sex and sexuality, maybe a lack of a Christian foundation on how to approach issues of individual freedom and choice, a drift away from the original purposes of church gatherings, and maybe even a softness towards core theological foundations of the Christian faith. Church, capital C, is indeed facing all these types of things, and that's more in a broad sense why I picked this book, because of our historical moment we find ourselves in as a Christian church. And in this sermon, we're going to do a bigger picture overview of the entire book as well as the background just to give you a sense of what the whole picture looks like because then after this Sunday, we're going to go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're going to spend about two to three weeks in each chapter of this letter of Corinth. So first, let's consider some background. And right away in the opening verses, we get a little bit of background. Look at verses one through three. Paul, 
called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right away we get some details about this letter. The author is Paul, and he's writing to the church in a city called Corinth. And he has not only that local church, but the universal church in mind. Sothenes is likely a companion of Paul who's very well known to the church in Corinth, but we as modern-day readers have little information about. That's probably why he's mentioned there. Paul asserts his credentials right away. He says that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus called by the will of God. Paul is a spiritual leader over the church in Corinth. In fact, he is the founding pastor of this church. The city of Corinth is a port city, and it serves as an economic center for that region, maybe like a Seattle. It's also a cultural center with education and arts, maybe like an L.A. or a Boston. But it's also a city where all kinds of vices go down. It's kind of like a Las Vegas in that sense. It's a mix between all these types of city culture in one ancient city. In fact, one commentator noted that the cultural phrase to be like a Corinthian at mean, meant that you were acting sexually immoral. That's kind of a cultural phrase that was thrown around in this historical moment. In addition, the city is also extremely diverse religiously. One commentator noted that there are 126 different sacred places that we know about in ancient Corinth, including a Jewish synagogue. And not surprising, therefore, the church that Paul planted in this city was diverse, with Jew and Greek, slave and free. The church mainly included those that did not high, have a high social rank. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. So that's Corinth, but yet it will go on in later chapters to note that there was a small group of people who were influential and from a more privileged background that were complicating some of the dynamics in this church. So how did this church come into existence? If you go to Acts chapter 18, you can read about how uh, Paul planted this church, which happened around 51 to 52 A.D. He worked bivocationally while he did it. He was a pastor, but he uh, supplied himself with an income through being a tent maker. He started the church from nothing. He'd go into Jewish synagogues on the Sabbath, preach the gospel, uh, to anybody that would listen to him, and they would, he would try to persuade them to follow Jesus. Uh, eventually, he was started uh, to be opposed in this setting, and the setting became abusive. So he started to preach the gospel next door, which is a fun move, right? This place, they're not accepting me anymore. I'm just going to go right next door to the synagogue. And there was a person that lived there, and that person wasn't a Christian, but very open to uh, the ways of Jesus. So he went there, and he also led uh, one of the synagogue leaders to uh, embrace Jesus Christ, and his household also embraced Christ. And then there are accounts of many uh, in the city of Corinth hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus, and getting baptized. Acts 18, 9 through 11 says that one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. 
Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or, and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And Paul needed this exhortation from the Lord because religious leaders were, were uniting and plotting to attack Paul. They bring him before this government official to try to get him into a, a trial, but the government official has no uh, uh, interest in charging Paul. But he also didn't have any interest in protecting Paul either. The crowd in this moment even beat up that leader from the synagogue that converted to Christianity, and the governing official just let it happened. But despite this opposition, Paul stayed in Corinth until he established this church, and then he traveled to Syria. Eventually, about three years later, he starts to hear about problems uh, that are occurring in this church that he had started, and here we have one of the letters that he wrote to this church to address those issues. There are probably more than two, but we only have two letters that he addresses to the city or the church in Corinth. Most of the issues that he addresses in 1 Corinthians are ethical and behavior, but they're driven by bad theology. They're driven by uh, starting to take your eye off the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the main problem that he's going to address in this letter is the problem that they are drifting away from the gospel because they're replacing it with this more cultural understanding of spirituality that's not grounded in the ways of Jesus Christ. And in addition, you're going to see throughout this letter that there's also some personal tension that has developed between Paul and this church as well because of this spiritual uh, understanding of religion instead of a gospel-centered understanding of the Christian faith. So Paul writes this letter to deal with it. And if you watch something, and I actually posted this on um, Trinity's website or on the journal, there's a website uh, in the ministry called The Bible Project. If you've never heard of them before, they give great overviews of every book of the Bible. And uh, the, this section where we are going to detail five different sections really is helped by that. And if you've never seen it, I would encourage you to take a look at it. But there are five sections, five different issues that Paul is going to address in this letter. The first one is the issue of division. In chapters 1 through, one through 4, division is a big theme and a big issue that he takes on. And uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, or rather 11 through 12 in 1 Corinthians 1, he writes, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And here, we have a celebrity pastor issue. The church is dividing over which Christian leader is the biggest influencer. And the Christian faith in this setting has now become uh, something that's ungrounded in the gospel and rather is replaced with this way to win applause and cultural status and is causing division in the church. And Paul goes back to the gospel. He reminds them that the Christian faith is about Christ. He says it very sarcastically, too. Were you, was Paul crucified? Were you baptized in my name? No, this is the Christian faith. This isn't about human leaders or influencers. It's about Jesus Christ. And in addition, he says that the gospel message is going to be foolish 
to people and a stumbling block to others. The gospel is the power to save. Yes, it has that power to do that. Yet it is also going to stir things up and not win you a lot of cultural approval. And he says that's okay because the gospel is God's wisdom. And it's to use, and God uses the gospel to humble us and to bring us into true knowledge of God and his ways. That's the first section. The first issue he takes on is the issue of division. The next issue he tackles is the issue of sex. In chapters 5 through 7, Paul is dealing with sex and relationships. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 2, he highlights one of those issues. He writes, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who is doing this? I was watching uh, that Bible Project overview with uh, one of my, my kids, and when it got to this point, she, her eyebrows just went up, and she's just like, what the like, was totally unimpressed with this type of situation in the church, and it grabs your attention. And not only this specific issue, but another issue that he addresses in these chapters is that there are people in this church that are going to the temple, a pagan temple, and and part of their experience when they go there is sleeping with prostitutes, and they justify it with their new spirituality, saying, hey, we're free in Christ to do this. It's my body and my choice. It's the ancient equivalent of that way of thinking about sex and sexuality. But Paul again brings them back to the gospel. He says, Jesus died for your sins so that you will no longer live in those sins. In addition, he goes on to say that your body is a temple where God dwells. You belong to God, both body and soul. And so therefore, with your body, you do what pleases the Lord and not pleasing of your own individual desires. In this section, in these uh, chapters on this issue, the topics of sex, marriage, singleness, and sexuality come up and will be addressed. In section number three, we deal with food. This is in chapters eight through, tw- eight through 10. And it's not just food in general, but a specific issue that is causing division in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 8.1 highlights it. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. The issue here is in Corinth, food uh, that you find in the, the marketplace, some of it is sacrificed to idols in these pagan temples. And, he, and then they, after they're sacrificed, they go to the meat market, they're butchered, and they're sold in the market. Some Christians say, this is not a big deal, all right? We, it's just meat, we can eat it. Other group of Christians say it is a big, be- big deal. This is meat specifically sacrificed to idols. In addition, sometimes when we eat this, we're causing one another to stumble, and even those outside of the Christian faith that might be curious about what the ways of Jesus are are looking at this action and being confused about what the Christian faith is all about. To address this issue, Paul again goes back to the gospel and how it's worked out in different situations. In some situations, he'll write that that Christians shouldn't eat the meat then because it causes somebody to stumble or it's a giving the wrong impression of what the Christian faith is all about to those outside the faith. 
But then he says, but in other situations, like if neither of those groups are present while you're eating this meat, go ahead and eat it. Because we know that these idols are not real and God made this as a good gift to enjoy. What drives both of these situations is to do things out of love and not selfishness. Love and the advancement of the gospel is the foundation for addressing these types of complicated dis uh, 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 disagreements among those that are in the faith. And although we may not have this specific issue in our church today, we need to bring all of our decision-making in line with a gospel framework in other areas like whether or not you should drink alcohol or whether or not you should wear a mask during a pandemic. Christians need to come back to these first principles and try to work through what does it mean for these issues when Christians seem to not be able to agree on what to do. And Paul is going to help us with that gospel-centered framework. Section number four in the book of 1 Corinthians is the issue about the church gathering. This happens in chapters 11 through 14. Paul deals with the church as it gathers for worship. And here's the issue, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 19. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. How would you like that to be what your pastor says to you? When you get together, you do more harm than good. Verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So here's the issue. They're coming together. They're doing more harm than good when they do. There's chaos because people are focused on their spiritual gifts rather than edifying the people that they're worshiping with. There's division due to classism around the Lord's Supper. And there's controversy about what to wear when one worships. And in these chapters, we encounter all sorts of different things that I think are important. What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? What's the purpose of spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues? And then there's even a text just for fun that addresses head coverings and women. All right, I get to preach on that. And we're going to do this verse by verse, section by section. We are going to tackle all these issues. There is a lot going on. But again, Paul will address it with the gospel. He says that the church gathering is for encountering the Lord's presence and for edifying one another. Like the issue of eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols, the driving principle when the church gathers is doing everything out of love for one another and for glorifying Jesus Christ. This is the section that probably includes the most popular chapter of 1 Corinthians, the, the chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13, Love is Patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and that's what you find in that section. In the last section, we come to chapter 15, where Paul addresses the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in verses 12 through 14, this is the issue. But if it is, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Some are teaching that the physical resurrection from the dead is either not a big deal 
or they even are denying it. And Paul, Paul goes nuclear in this chapter. He is not a fan of even compromising on this issue. He says, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and then everything we are doing as a faith is a complete joke because it's based on a lie. What Paul is doing in each and every one of these sections is that he keeps coming back to the gospel. And what he is showing us is that there is not one issue that the church faces that cannot be addressed with the gospel. Every issue that you face, even the modern church faces right now, can be addressed through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His main purpose in this letter is to show how the gospel applies to every area of life. And that even includes how do you address a dysfunctional and divided church? I have a memory where I was able to sit under the preaching of 1 Corinthians back when I was a church planning resident at Hope Community Church. They're the church that planted us from downtown Minneapolis, and they, uh, in my last uh, year there, preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I remember a lot of things about it, but the biggest memory I have about him, uh, the pastor there, preaching through this book is that the subheading was the bridezilla of Christ, and he even had this like crazy uh, uh, graphic of Godzilla with a wedding dress on, because this is, this is kind of what you get uh, the impression of when you read through this book, is that this, this is a church that's hard to love. It's got issues. And, and, and what do you do with that? What do you do when, when you look at a church that is this dysfunctional? Like, how can you get to a point where you can be warm in your posture towards a church like this? It's hard to be thankful with a church that is this dysfunctional. But Paul says this in his opening verses. Look at verses 4 through 9 with me. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, 1 Corinthians is bridezilla. But Paul still gives thanks, even when this church is causing him so much harm and grief. He notices still that God is giving grace to this local church and gifts to this local church to get through this and to be restored. He's about to confront him. This is about the nicest thing he's going to say to him, all right? So he doesn't just linger here. He is going to get down to business. He's going to get specific, but he's doing that out of thanks and love. He wants to see the church restored, not destroyed. And so he takes a pause before he gets there. He takes a breather before he gets confrontational and says, you know what? I'm thankful for you. God's grace is working here. God's gift is clearly being poured out onto the people that are here. And then he's going to go on and address all these issues that the church is facing through the lens of the gospel. Issues of church division and sex and complicated decision-making and the church gathering and the resurrection. Yet, 
he's also going to look at this specific church also through the lens of the gospel. He's looking at the church in Corinth the way that God sees this church, a people that need his grace to restore them. And in this series, we are going to do that. We're going to see how the gospel can be applied to every area of life. For now, let's move to this time of communion. Again, we practice communion each and every week because it's another way we engage the gospel of Jesus Christ in a tangible and visible way. The music team, are, they're going to come up and they're going to lead us in response with song. And during that first song, uh, I want you all to come up here, uh, take a piece of bread, take a cup, take it back to your seat, and then you can take communion as you feel led. If you're here this morning, um, you don't identify with this faith, you're just exploring, don't feel any pressure to participate or to sing or to blend in. We are glad you're here. And I know that if you linger, 1 Corinthians is going to stir some things up that you have thought about and that you have some questions about concerning the Christian faith. So I hope that you linger with us as we preach through this book of the Bible. If Trinity is your home...